You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our sermon this afternoon, which will deal with the third Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism, I'd invite you first to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll begin at verse 17 and we'll read through verse 32. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed on the day of redemption, sealed for the day of redemption, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Thus far our reading from God's holy word. We'll now turn our attention to Lord's Day 3 in the Heidelberg Catechism, which will serve as our text. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you turn your attention to the points outlined in the liturgy sheet, you'll see that there is what looks like a few too many brackets there. After each of the letters, A, B, C, and D, of course, there's a bracket, but the final two points are bracketed. You're probably wondering why that is. Well, I have included those points, brief though they may be, because in a sense, this sermon wouldn't be complete without them. They give the complete picture. You see, 
mankind, human nature, has often been discussed throughout history by Christian theologians in four stages. Four stages. And the four stages are, in fact, outlined here about our creation, our fall, our redemption, and our glorification or perfection, you might say. Those are outlined there then in those four points. These four states are like four movements in a piece of music. A piece of music will have movements that all together make up the whole. If you were to take one of those movements out, you would remove something from the whole and you'd not have a sense of that whole piece of movement. Every movement is there for a purpose. And those movements, they carry on similar themes from one to the other. There will be themes, underlying themes that run through a piece of music all through each movement. However, each movement will have its own tone, its own atmosphere. One movement might sound very different from the other one, even though there is that common thread running through all of them. Similarly, here, as we discuss the four, the four parts of, of mankind, the four states in which we live, there are many themes that run through all of them, but at the same time, they all have a very different atmosphere, character, feeling. The one thing that's true of all of them, and our theme for this afternoon, is that we were created to glorify God. That never changes. We were created to glorify God. And this afternoon we'll especially consider our good beginning and our terrible fall. And we'll finish briefly looking at our purposeful redemption and our complete hope. So we begin with our good beginning. And now, even as I say that, you may wonder, where does all this our language come from? Well, it comes from the catechism. The catechism is speaking about things in the third person, especially when it comes to question answer eight, but are we so corrupt? You say, well, where does that come from? Well, that comes from question answer seven, From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents. But it raises the question for us, where does your life begin? What what defines you? Where does your story, or yours, or any one of us, where does it begin? Does it begin on a warm spring day, 1967? We often begin our own stories with our birth. If you go to weddings and you hear the parents of the bride or groom come up and speak about their child, we'll almost always begin with the date of their birth. But do we really begin when we are born? Perhaps we should begin with our parents who gave us birth. After all, it is our parents coming together that makes our birth at Our DNA is made up of our parents' DNA. It's passed on. 
Or maybe we could think more broadly in terms of our, our country or our culture of which we're a part. Surely that influences us very much. That we should begin our story by the beginning of our country or the beginning of our culture. Maybe Western civilization. Perhaps maybe there's a moment in history that defines us. A particular moment that, that defines who we are. Well, God's Word teaches us, in fact, where our story begins, where you begin, where each one of us begins. And that we are to define ourselves by and identify ourselves with. And that is with our first parents, Adam and Eve. In Romans 5, verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. The first grade spelling textbook that was used in Puritan New England to teach the letter A communicated this truth very succinctly. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. If we are going to understand ourselves properly, we need to go back all the way to beginning, all the way to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and their and our good Creation. So how was Adam created? Well, Genesis 1 gives us a deep sense that Adam, Eve, man, was created good. In fact, it was only after Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day that God designated his creation complete and said, it is now very Good. Good in the sense is whole, complete, satisfying. It's, it's all there. God had planned man exactly, God had created man exactly how he had planned him. And man lived in creation exactly as God had intended. And behold, it was very good. But what more specifically does this goodness refer to? Well, when we look closer at how God created mankind, male and female, then we read in Genesis 1 verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In his own image. In the image of God. You get a sense immediately that this must be something special. No other creation was made in the image of God. And nowhere was this repeated for our benefit two times. But here it is, when God creates male and female, they are created in His image. What does the image of God refer to? Well, the image of God refers to a reflecting on the part of mankind, Adam and Eve as they were created at the beginning, reflecting certain aspects of God's character. They were just like an image of God. In a mirror you see an image. And so Adam and Eve, when God created them good, reflected some aspects of God's character. They reflected His wisdom. They reflected his righteousness. They reflected his goodness, his integrity. If possible, you would look at Adam and Eve and you would see in them reflected perfectly certain aspects 
of God Himself. The Creator designed mankind to look like Himself. Now that is very special. The Catechism speaks about this. In question and answer 6, when it says, Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, God created man good and in His image. That is, now explaining image, in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, which we read together, Paul explains that. You're being recreated in the image of God, that is, in true righteousness and holiness. As God is holy, so man was made holy. As God is righteous, so man was made righteous. A very fitting way of understanding this is in the way that a child reflects something of their father. You can probably look at young Nathan right now and see in him something of his father. You can look, and of course we have big arguments about this, the ears or the nose or the the shape of the head or the length, but probably you can see something of his father in him. And so when God created mankind, you could see something of God, our Father, in man. And so this goodness with which man was created was a special kind of goodness. And we need to always keep this in mind. Let this never go far from your understanding of others and how you treat them. That every human being traces their line back to Adam and Eve, and yes, that would be all of us, were created in the image of God. This means that every human being has dignity. Every human being was made special. And that means we need to treat each other with this dignity, doesn't it? It means that we ought not to belittle anyone because they are created in the image of God. Because they have dignity. That means that when we're at school, when school starts in a few weeks, we don't bully others. We don't make others feel bad. We don't make others feel worthless because no one is worthless. We're created in the image of God. Understanding this for us ought to remove prejudice from our hearts and from our minds. Ethnic racial, economic, whatever situation someone is in, I am not better than them because they too were created in the image of God. So there's a special kind of goodness with which male and female were created. And this special kind of goodness includes a special kind of purpose. And the Catechism outlines this purpose for us God created man like this so that, that points us to the purpose, so that he might rightly know God as creator, heartily love him, live with him in eternal blessedness, to praise and glorify him. All this is the purpose for which God created mankind. Created us to know God, to to be able to relate with God. It's important to remember That God didn't need to create mankind. It wasn't as if God was lonely on his own and he he needed some companionship. No, God is triune. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live with together in, in complete fellowship, in perfect relationship. God didn't need to create mankind, but He did. It pleased Him to create mankind, to make a creature with whom He could relate, with whom He could have a special relationship, unlike His relationship with any of the other creatures. And to know God, that that speaks about this relationship. And it, it's encompassed in the next two things that the Catechism points out. To heartily love Him and live with God. Love is a, a commitment of, of service. A commitment to live for another. To love is to give yourself wholeheartedly into the relationship that you have. God created us to do that with Him, to give ourselves wholeheartedly into our relationship with God, to commit ourselves to Him without any misgivings. It's hard to even imagine, isn't it? In all of our relationships now, we're so self-focused. We commit ourselves to a certain point, but we spend most of our time thinking about Ourselves. In the beginning, man and woman were created to think about God, to love Him, and to live with Him. This means to be in the presence of Him constantly. Anyone who's in a marriage relationship has a sense of what this is about. This, this live with. You're with this person through, through thick and thin, and it's that thin that makes it hard for us to understand what this live with is all about. But you go through all sorts of experiences. Every experience, or almost every experience of life, you go through with the other person. You live with them, and you grow in fellowship as you do so. That's how we were created to relate with God. To go through all of our experiences with Him, constantly growing and growing and growing in our our fellowship and our communion with Him. And all this was to the end that we might praise and glorify God. He who is most worthy of praise and glory, we could give it to Him. It's so important for us to understand our good creation. Our sinful minds can't understand the extent of our good creation and certainly our hearts can't relate to the, to the experience that that must have been. Can you imagine to live in perfect harmony with the Creator? To live in perfect harmony with the Creator. It almost makes you sad just to think about it. We struggle against so much on this earth, in our lives, in our experience, we have so much of a hard time relating to others and and relating to God. Can you imagine not having to contend daily with the weaknesses of your body, of your desires? Can you imagine being able to give yourself in love wholly, completely, perfectly, without expecting anything in return, but receiving everything? Oh, the goodness of God's creation. Our hearts are not tuned to it. 
It's beyond our comprehension. It's so hard for our hearts to believe it. But it's true. God created man good in his image that we could know and love and live with and praise God perfectly. Here's where the sermon takes the turn that we all knew was coming. There's a reason why we can't comprehend the goodness of our creation. That's because of the fall into sin. Adam and Eve were created good, but they fell into sin. In fact, the more you understand of the goodness of God's creation in the beginning, the more you understand the depths of that fall from good. Remember, we continue to talk in the plural here. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. And we, very truly, experience the effects of this fall, don't we? In what way? Well, in perhaps the most basic way possible, our nature is fallen. Our nature is fallen. We, in every way that we think and act and behave, every way that we relate, every experience, everything we do is fallen. To state it another way, the image of God has been shattered, distorted. The image of God has not been removed. The image of God is not being removed. We are still God's special creation. Every human being. But we have become, sorry, we have not become something other than what God created us as. But just as a mirror that has been smashed or warped is, is still a mirror, albeit barely functioning, so we are created in the image of God. But it is perhaps this distortion that's even more devastating. A mirror that's blacked out, that's all painted over with black, it it doesn't reflect anything. It's sort of neutral. But that's not what we are like in our sinful nature. A broken mirror distorts everything that it reflects. It distorts it. It keeps something of the original, but only as it twists it. And corrupts that very image. So it is with the image of God. which What once reflected wisdom and righteousness and goodness and integrity now distorts those qualities into foolishness and, and wickedness and unrighteousness and duplicity. There's still an image of God, but only in as far as it it gets distorted and warped so that it's much worse than if it was just neutral, just blacked out. There's a very good description of this for us in the Confessions. It's in Canons of Dort, chapter 3-4, article 1. Perhaps you want to turn there for a moment. Canons of Dort follows the Heidelberg Catechism. Chapter 3 is about our total depravity, and Article 1 speaks about the effects of the fall. Page 569 of your Book of Praise. Very succinct summary. In the beginning, man was created in the image of God. 
He was adorned in his mind with true and wholesome knowledge of his Creator and of all spiritual things. His will and heart were upright, all his affections pure, and therefore man was completely holy. But rebelling against God through the instigation of the devil and through his own free will, he deprived himself of these excellent gifts and instead brought upon himself blindness, horrible darkness, futility, and perverseness of judgment in his mind, wickedness, rebelliousness, and stubbornness in his heart and will, will and heart, and impurity in all his affections. As God reveals his word, doesn't this become so true? Adam and Eve are created good, able to relate perfectly with God and with each other, and after the fall into sin, their own son murders his brother. The effects of the fall illustrated so clearly for us. So it is that the Canons of Dort begins to explain our total depravity. But you can almost hear, reading this list of wickedness and rebelliousness and stubbornness and impurity, you can almost hear the objection coming, well, if everyone now, having fallen in Adam, is so bad, then why aren't we all much worse? We were formed are good at recalling the sinfulness of mankind, but we need to make sure we understand this doctrine correctly. It can sound like when we speak about our total depravity that we think that everyone in this world is a murderer, a hardened thief, a lawless barbarian, that they are all as bad as they possibly could be. But the total in this total depravity is not speaking about, not saying that we are as bad as we possibly could be. No, we could be far worse. We are still created in the image of God. God still restrains us. The canons speak about it in Article 4 when they say, to be sure there is left in man after the fall some light of nature whereby he retains some notions about God, about natural things, and about the difference between what is honorable and shameful, and shows some regard for virtue and outward order. It's not as bad as it could be. So what does the total in total depravity refer to? Well, it refers to two things. First is our complete depravity. That is, there is no part of us that has not fallen. The church in the Middle Ages taught that while we lost our original righteousness in the fall, parts or even all of our mind, of our will, were still good. We could still do good with that. And so came the doctrine that you could do good works because not all of you was fallen, but there was something lost, and that's why you needed grace. You needed good works and grace, and then you could be saved. But the Word of God teaches us that we can do no good works on our own. That is because we are completely fallen. Our minds, our wills, our hearts, our emotions all fallen. Well, the second thing, the second total, the second way in which our depravity is total, refers to our total inability to do what is good. Again, quoting the canons, our total inability to return to God, reform our depraved nature, or prepare ourselves for its reformation. In the fall into sin, the image was broken. 
what, what, what once reflected the perfections of God now can only distort them. If you can imagine taking a mirror, a little mirror, and, and shattering it, and then throwing it into the oven to bake, and then taking it out again. That's what the image of God in us looks like. It doesn't work properly. It reflects that image. Now, that's devastating by itself, but let's think for a moment through the effects of this. Along with this distorted image comes our inability to do that for which we were created to glorify God. How can we glorify God? How can a warped mirror reflect the beauty of anything? You take something beautiful, you hold it up to a warped mirror, and it becomes not beautiful. In our fallenness, we have no recollection of our original purpose, which is to glorify the one true God. We cannot know God. Again, knowing speaks of that relationship with God that encompasses loving and living with Him. And Paul summarizes the effects of the fall in Romans 1, where he says, Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. In the fall, our knowledge became so corrupted as to barely be able to speak about knowledge at all other than to know God as much as we can distort our conception of Him. We fail to know God as He truly is. In our fallenness, we cannot love God. When God ceases to be the object of our love, our hope, our worship, then we become self-loving, self-hopeful, self-worshippers. We chase after money and power and comfort, but it's all a vain pursuit to bring peace for ourselves. Having abandoned God, we cannot love God. Our love turns inward or elsewhere. And then, of course, we also cannot live with God. There you have it. Just five short words describes the plight of sinful man. We cannot Live with God. Created to glorify Him. Created to live with Him. Now estranged from our Maker. In our fallen state, it is impossible to live with God. Because God is too holy. And because we are too fallen. Now let us not stop there. Because that is not, in fact, even how the catechism ends. It ends with that question, which we hope will be answered in the negative, but we know better. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes. Unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. That is a glorious unless. And that gives us a reason to include these bracketed points here because we need to. We need to. We need to know that God has not left us in our sin. 
but has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Jesus came reflecting the glory of God perfectly, though our eyes could not see it because they were fallen. He reflected the glory of His Father. In our fallen state, we could not live with God, but Jesus came as the atonement for our sins. He is the image of God where we are not. He is righteousness where we are not. He is holiness where we are not. He has known, loved, and lived with God so that in Him, united by faith in Him, we might love and live with and praise and glorify God. In Jesus, we are redeemed. And our complete hope, amazingly, we are now being remade into the image of our Creator, as Ephesians 4. Slowly, the Holy Spirit is repairing that shattered, distorted mirror so that once again it might, albeit only a little bit now, but it might begin to reflect something of the glory of God. And this is our hope, that He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. One day we will stand before our God without any sin or stain or corruption or distortion. And we will, as we were created to do, perfectly reflect His glory. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.